You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Globalization, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. After a tense and controversial election period, Joe Biden is now set to become the next president of the United States. We asked Youngwook Ryu to give us his perspective on the past four years under the Trump administration, as well as on what the Biden administration has in store for China and the rest of Asia. What's your assessment of how things changed during the Trump administration in the past four years? Right. So I think you know the, the past four years of Trump administration have been really interesting from an academic standpoint. Right. So Trump, when he came into office, emphasized in a very explicit and blunt manner the importance of achieving national interest. And he made no qualm about every country in this world working for their own national interest without worrying about the interests of others. And Trump him, himself said this is a moral political act to do. Right? And he you know, has remained true to his words. When it came to Asia policy, you know, he took a very hard line towards China, right? which received a lot of support, right? both in the USA and in the region. But also at the same time, he exerted a lot of pressure on traditional allies of the USA and pro-US countries in the region, something that many countries in this part of the world are not very happy with. So I think that has been a single most consistent US policy on the Trump. Mm-hmm. When Biden comes in, and we already know that President-elect Biden has chosen Anthony Blinken as the uh, next Secretary of the State, mm-hmm. and also the uh, Jake Sullivan as the National Security Advisor, mm-hmm. and these two folks are traditional multilateralists. You know, I expect uh, the next Biden administration to emphasize on traditional U.S. foreign policy in Asia. Mm-hmm. So, working with uh, allies of the USA, pro-U.S. countries, and at the same time, on, unlike Trump administration, which adopted sort of all-the-way pressure attitude towards China, the Biden administration will most likely adopt a differentiated form of engagement with China. Mm -hmm. So on certain issues, such as climate change, where the USA needs cooperation from China, Biden will seek cooperation from China. Mm -hmm. On other issues, the Biden administration will continue hardline pressure attitude towards China. Mm -hmm. Now, how they are going to strike a balance between cooperation on certain issues on the one hand and decoupling or pressure or containment on some other issues is going to be an interesting issue to watch out for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Trump's four years of taking a harder stance against China, how effective do you think that has been? Has he gotten any good results out of that strategy? So far, right, the concrete results have not yet come out. Mm-hmm. Although I think Trump's uh, China policy has received bipartisan support in the USA. So that's why a lot of people expect the Biden administration will continue Trump's China policy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the US uh, policy towards China has been in the making since Obama administration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Obama administration uh, toyed with the idea of G2 Mm-hmm. So, you know, power sharing mm-hmm. and then governing the world, right, along with China. And at the same time, there was a concern in the Washington, D.C. Therefore, the Obama administration also adopted 
pivot to Asia, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you know, it was a mixture of right, engagement and containment towards mm-hmm. China. When it came to Trump, right, you know, the U.S. policy switched completely towards containment, mm-hmm. away from engagement. Mm-hmm. It took a while for the Chinese government to figure out what Trump wa- uh, you know, was uh, up to, mm-hmm. right? It took the Chinese government almost a year and a half to understand that the Trump is all about containment okay. and, and, yeah. and little about engagement, right? Mm-hmm. right? And then the real uh, pressure exerted on China began in 2019, okay. right? So even after the, you know, the trade deal, mm-hmm. the U.S. government continued to pressure China and the Chinese government felt that pressure. And you know, based on my personal interactions with Chinese you know, academics and think tankers, they were joking quietly that their best Christmas wish right, for 2020 mm-hmm. is anyone but Trump mm-hmm. for the next presidency right, okay. in the USA. Mm-hmm. So I think the pressure was being felt in Beijing. And you know, for example, Huawei mm-hmm. right, has already given up its mobile right, phone business pretty yeah. much. Mm-hmm. And then it's cut out of right, the supply of 5G equipment mm-hmm. from many of the you know, pro-US countries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the pressure has been felt. Although you know, the USA went into the election right, year. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the actual concrete, right, the outcome of pressure uh, against Beijing mm-hmm. have not been produced. Right. But I think if, you, you know, if this pressure attitude or policy continues, then mm-hmm. yes, I think there will be a lot of effect right, okay. coming out. What is the best outcome that the United States could hope for as far as containing China? Or what policies do, do, would they like China to change the most? And does, is this more... South China Sea related or military related what what do you see as far as outcomes yeah it's i think it's the entire package right mm-hmm. so you know the the best outcome that the USA along with many US allies and pro US countries in the region are hoping to see from China is a change of chinese philosophy policy priorities as well as foreign behavior in mm-hmm. this part of the world you know under xi jinping you know the communist party of china has you know, has moved away from the traditional Chinese foreign policy of, you know, let me use some Chinese phrase here, mm-hmm. right? Taowang yang hui, meaning that, you know, hide your capabilities and bide, bide your time. Right. Mm-hmm. To more of doing things wherever they can, mm-hmm. right? Exerting Chinese influence, serving Chinese national interest. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this in East China Sea, right? Over the territory disputes with Japan, mm-hmm. over Taiwan, right? In the South China Sea. Right, over the you know Spratly and, and Paris disputes, mm-hmm. we've also seen a rather different kind of Chinese govern, governing philosophy, right, exhibited right in the cases of Uyghurs mm-hmm. in Xinjiang, mm-hmm. in you know the suppression of right demonstrations in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and in Inner Mongolia, where you know different kind of education policy was adopted. Mm-hmm. All this is designed. From the Chinese Communist Party's perspective, to strengthen national unity, mm-hmm. the effect has been that it's been dividing right the you know, national unity uh, within China. Okay. So I think you know the United States wants to see a change of Chinese governance uh, philosophy, policy priorities, and actual foreign behavior mm-hmm. in in Asia. Okay. Now, from what I've seen, and the way that so much of the Chinese policy has been driven by Xi Jinping himself, it doesn't seem like that would be likely for him to change course. Or am I wrong? No, I think you are, uh, you are right, mm-hmm. right. So we know that you know, even after COVID saga right, in China, Xi Jinping's uh, uh, hold of power has not really declined. 
there was a moment when people thought that maybe Xi Jinping's grip on power was weakening, especially when Li Keqiang, the Chinese premier, mm-hmm. made certain public remarks which seemed to challenge Xi Jinping's right, public speeches. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, Li Keqiang said uh, about 40% of Chinese right, ordinary people make less than 1,000 renminbi per month. Mm-hmm. And this goes against Xi Jinping's idea and promotion of right, uh, Xia Kuang uh, Shouhui. Okay. So you know, mod- modest, strong society, mm-hmm. right? Where you know most Chinese make around you know ten thousand USD, right, per year. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. So Li Keqiang's remarks seems to challenge Xi Jinping's mm-hmm. right, public statement. Mm-hmm. But we know that you know you know throughout the two thousand twenty, we've seen Xi Jinping strengthening his uh, grip on power. Mm-hmm. We see you know Li Keqiang not taking. Uh, much of a uh, public limelight, right? When he gives speeches, although I do think that there is a bit of power struggle going on within the uh, Communist Party, mm-hmm. but okay. you know, it's fair to say that Xi Jinping is still firmly in charge, right? And that fact is probably not going to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. The school has had some forums already about the U.S. elections and what that means for Asia, and you know, just reading some of the comments and questions posed by listeners, I think a lot of people are really interested in the possibility for military engagement mm-hmm. in Asia. So w- what do you think about that? How likely do you think it is? Where are the hot spots? And should be people be concerned? Yeah, I think people should be more concerned now than before. In general, the probability of military conflict is low mm-hmm. right, to begin with. Okay, But I would say that the likelihood of military conflict in this part of the world now and in the next few years is certainly higher than what has been in the past decade or so. And here I see two most dangerous flashpoints. One is the Korean Peninsula, and the other one is Taiwan. So I'm not going to uh, say the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. Although we will see tensions, I don't think that's where you know, the U.S. and China will most likely to clash. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason that I say the Korean Peninsula and Taiwan are most dangerous flashpoints are the following. So in the case of the Korean Peninsula, which has always been the subject of right, historically great power conflict. Whenever there was a, a hegemon in Asia, that hegemon has always controlled the Korean Peninsula. So when Japan was uh, you know, militarily powerful, mm-hmm. it occupied right, the Korean Peninsula. Before then, China was the most powerful hegemon in the region. China de facto uh, mm-hmm. ruled the Korean Peninsula. And during the Cold War, when the power was divided between U.S. and the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. the Korean Peninsula was divided mm-hmm. right, along the 38th parallel. Mm-hmm. And now, because power is more or less contested between USA and China, we see that great power politics and influence taking place on the Korean Peninsula. So North mm-hmm. Korea depends on China. Mm-hmm. South Korea is an ally of the USA. But there is also domestic politics within South Korea, you know, with conservatives favoring USA, certain liberal, quote-unquote liberal and progressive political forces wanting to balance between U.S. and China. So, you know, as the U.S.-China power rivalry intensifies, mm-hmm. we will see right, sort of a miniature of that great power politics taking place on the Korean Peninsula. Okay. Taiwan, for, you know, obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Right? So, during the President Trump's tenure, USA has given a lot of support, political support and diplomatic support to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And the Chai Ing-wen government in Taiwan obviously right, wants to promote independence mm-hmm. to Taiwan. Right? So both Trump 
you know, adopting this anti-China or all-the-way pressure policy towards China, and then Taiwan won favoring independence, mm-hmm. came together, right? So it was a, you know, sort of an opportune moment for the Taiwanese government yes. to mm-hmm. take some political chances right. and, and go for, right, this independence path, mm-hmm. which is something that the Communist Party of China just cannot accept. Right. right? So we've seen a lot of tensions because of this. Mm-hmm. And neither CCP uh, uh, in mainland nor Chai government in, uh, in Taiwan are willing to make any sort of compromise. Mm-hmm. So they've been holding their grounds. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Xi Jinping has publicly stated that you know, he w- he's going to unite right, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, his personal reputation is on the line. Right. So that's why you know, I think Taiwan right, uh, is, is also dangerous. Yeah. What is the U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy? And how, how is that working now? And, and what do you see as far as going forward? Yeah. So, okay. So, the U.S. foreign policy towards Asia, if you if you know if you have if you have to use one phrase, would be free and open in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, in short, FOIP. Right. Mm-hmm. This FOIP idea uh, initially emerged from Japan. Right? Okay. I don't know whether you knew this. I didn't know that. Yeah. No. So it's a, the former prime minister of Japan mm-hmm. was the first one who proposed this free and open in the Pacific. Okay. His initial policy idea is to connect the two oceans. The the, the the Asia right mm-hmm. ocean and then mm-hmm. Indian Ocean mm-hmm. and the two continents mm-hmm. Asia and Africa okay and his main policy goal is to connect these these two continents and oceans for greater trade interactions mm-hmm. right and exchanges mm-hmm. USA took the FOIB idea mm-hmm. and then basically turned it into pretty much China policy. Yeah. Right? Okay. So whenever nowadays you hear FOIP, mm-hmm. people think about U.S. containment policy towards China. Mm-hmm. But the initial right, starting point was not that. Okay. So I think that, you know, the, the, the principles of FOIP uh, will continue. Mm-hmm. Right? And that undergirds U.S. policy towards Asia, which is open, inclusive, mm-hmm. right, based on right, international law and rules. Mm-hmm. If China deviates from these principles, mm-hmm. then USA will put pressure on China, mm-hmm. along with you know Asian allies and pro-US countries. Mm-hmm. If China accepts these rules, mm-hmm. then I think you know that's what everybody wants to see in mm-hmm. the future. Now you mentioned the Korean Peninsula, and Trump famously met with Kim Jong Un here in Singapore. And during his four years, what changed? between U.S. and North Korean relationships and, I guess, North Korea's relationship with the world? You know, you might be surprised to hear this. Mm-hmm. I think Kim Jong-un is disappointed to see Trump go. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, something that North Korea always wanted to achieve is to have direct access to U.S. president, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what Trump was willing to give right. to Kim Jong-un. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's why there were summit meetings between the two leaders in Singapore, in Hanoi, and also at Panmunjom. Mm-hmm. None of these summit meetings actually produced concrete results, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that's why we've not seen much progress on peace process on the Korean Peninsula as well as the denuclearization issue. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Biden will go back to the, the Obama uh, administration's policy towards North Korea, which is to join forces with Japan, South Korea, mm-hmm. and put pressure on Pyongyang collectively. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that North Korea... Uh, does not like, but it's also something that the current South Korean government would not like to see. Okay. So, you know, my expectation is that we will see more conflict and tensions between USA and North Korea, mm-hmm. as well as between the, the USA and the current South Korean government. 
okay. which prefers more conciliatory engagement mm-hmm. policy uh, towards North Korea. Mm-hmm. Now, at least it seems on the in the major media. North Korea has been fairly quiet during the U.S. elections. They haven't... Surprisingly quiet. Yeah, surprisingly quiet. So what do you think Kim Jong-un is planning to do is now that it that his friend Trump is not going... Looks yeah. like he may not be the president so, again. Bromance is over, right? Yeah, for the them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's hard to know uh, what's really going on in North Korea. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier this year, right, during the, you know, when COVID was right, rampant, mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un disappeared from the public right, limelight mm-hmm. for a few months. Right. And then, some, and then somebody who looked like Kim Jong-un appeared. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, there's you know, all these folks who've, who analyzed these video footages mm-hmm. to see whether, you know, the person who appears as if Kim Jong-un is mm-hmm. in fact Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. So they look at, you know, the ear size, they look at teeth, right? And then, you know, different facial features. We know that Kim Jong-un's uh, health has not been very well. Mm-hmm. And he has delegated some of his authority to other people, including his sister. Mm-hmm. So his sister seems to be in charge of uh, policy towards uh, South Korea and, and towards the United States. Mm-hmm. Although Kim Jong-un will still make the final decision. Uh, but he has not been seen in public right, for some time. Yeah. I think North Korea will wait and see first how USA will react towards North Korea. They will also wait and see how USA react towards China. Mm-hmm. So, and then they will try to do right, their traditional foreign policy. Mm-hmm. My expectation is that North Korea will probably uh, go back to the, the old brinkmanship policy mm-hmm. if... No goodwill gesture comes uh, out of Washington, D.C. under Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Then they will try to send out a signal to the USA. If you don't do what we want you to do, then mm-hmm. we will you know, fire missiles mm-hmm. over the Sea of Japan mm-hmm. right, or test you know, uh, satellites and so on and so forth mm-hmm. as a way to provoke the USA, bring the USA to the negotiating table, mm-hmm. uh, and then send out a message to the USA. Right. When it comes to foreign policy, what are the things that you're waiting to see will or will not happen? Right. So I'm waiting to first hear President-elect Biden making a foreign policy statement. Mm-hmm. Right? And then within that statement, we will get a uh, you know, good sense of what the Biden administration will do mm-hmm. in terms of its Asia policy. Mm-hmm. So you know, what Biden will say about China in terms of the level of engagement and containment. Mm-hmm. So you know, as I said earlier, you know, what, what form will this differentiated right, degree of engagement with China mm-hmm. be exactly? Mm-hmm. Where will they cooperate and where will they fight against Beijing? Mm -hmm. And based on that, I think a lot of uh, countries in this part of the world will take their policy towards China. Right. So under Trump, right, it was fairly clear, Mm -hmm. either with USA, Trump or against. Mm -hmm. And certain countries such as India, which had its own conflict with with China, right, and and Vietnam, which Mm -hmm. also has its own conflict with China, Mm -hmm. all sided with the USA. They actually enjoyed strong U.S. support Mm -hmm. against China. Mm -hmm. Now, I think these countries are in in some difficulty because they showed their cars towards Beijing. Mm -hmm. And if the USA under Biden relaxes its pressure policy towards Beijing, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be in a difficult situation. Okay. So they will, you know, they will also wait and see what Biden will say about China. I think a lot of countries in this part of the world want to see the continuation of the the new U.S. position on the South China Sea, okay. which came out under right, Trump administration, mm-hmm. which is a logical extension of the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration ruling. 
Okay. So the the New South China Sea policy on the Trump was the fully blown right, extension of the 2016 legal ruling on the South China Sea. Okay. The previous U.S. administrations implicitly agreed with uh, the full implications of the legal ruling, mm-hmm. but they never explicitly stated those things. Okay. Trump did, mm-hmm. and I think many regional countries want to see Biden administration continuing that that statement, mm-hmm. and I think that will happen. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be positive. Mm-hmm. Taiwan, I think, you know, I, the other day I was uh, you know, chatting with some Taiwanese officials, and they're also a bit concerned mm-hmm. because, you know, in some sense they put all their eggs in one basket, right? right? Hoping that USA will continue to provide strong political support mm-hmm. uh, for Taiwan. Yeah. Now, if Biden ad- administration mm-hmm. changes. The tone and degree of right this political support towards Taiwan, mm-hmm. then it's going to be in a very difficult right. Right, uh, situation. Yeah. I think they are quietly hoping that Biden will continue to support Taiwan. Right, and by looking at the people who you know who are going to play a you know crucial role in the new Biden administration in mm-hmm. terms of foreign policy, mm-hmm. I think there will there will still will be you know strong diplomatic and political support for Taiwan, mm-hmm. and that's going to. Make U.S.-China relationship quite difficult, right? But you know, we also know that the USA, you know, will give greater importance and priority to the relationship with China mm-hmm. rather than to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So everybody is watching, right? What this yeah. U.S.-China relationship will pan out, right, in mm-hmm. the near future, mm-hmm. and then based on that, they will adjust their positions. Yeah. Do you think that the way that Beijing has cracked down on Hong Kong and sort of Signaled an end to the one country two systems, will give more support to Taiwan from America. Like, will that make them more likely to 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 try and help and support Taiwan? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think you know, you know, whichever right administration we have in the USA, the domestic public opinion in the USA on the issue of China have decisively shifted. Right, shifted towards more negative mm-hmm. attitude. Right? Yes. So, you know, Taiwan now can play with uh, U.S. domestic politics, mm-hmm. right, both public opinion and congressmen and women, mm-hmm. to provide more support for Taiwan mm-hmm. right, in the future. And of course, that has to do with Hong Kong. It has to do with Chinese policy in Uyghurs, right, in Xinjiang, mm-hmm. right, and and other parts of China. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I think that provides favorable conditions mm-hmm. for for Taiwan's sort of positive. Relationship with the USA going forward. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to address? Like to say? Yeah. So you know, I think one thing that I want to emphasize, and and this is something that I think the new Biden administ- uh, administration, especially policymakers, really need to pay attention to. The Trump administration has received a lot of criticism, right? Both explicit and implicit. Around the world, mm-hmm. right, and and, and we, everybody knows this. Right? Mm-hmm. In Asia, Trump uh, put pressure on Japan, South Korea, right, and and other right pro-U.S. countries in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Despite that, right, fact, something that many regional countries are not happy with. Mm-hmm. Despite that fact, a lot of regional countries still supported Trump, mm-hmm. and the only reason is because Trump's consistent and persistent pressure. Towards Beijing, mm-hmm. right? and this is something that the the Biden administration must not forget. Mm-hmm. Right, so the the most ideal situation for Asian countries is the Biden administration continues pressure on Beijing, mm-hmm. and at the same time tries to do this along with 
Asian allies mm-hmm. and pro-U.S. countries. Mm-hmm. So yeah. back to multilateralism, mm-hmm. but the policy right, agenda right, uh, towards China yeah. is still being maintained. All right, well, thank you very much. Really It's appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It. Thank you for inviting me here. Thank you. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization Newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global is Asian. Global is Asian.